When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, good morning, Greeny, with you here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I start every morning by saying that there's only one place to start. Well, that is genuinely true today. And if you are just getting up and joining us, you are most likely aware of the horrifying scene last night in Cincinnati, something unlike anything any of us have seen. I've got former football players on the television show this morning. They've never seen anything like it. Former executives and reporters and uh, talk show hosts like me who've been around the sport for 30 years and have never seen anything like the scene last night in Cincinnati. Damar Hamlin, a 24-year-old Pennsylvania native who was a sixth-round draft pick of the Buffalo Bills in 2021 out of the University of Pittsburgh has been playing for them a lot this season because of injuries in other places, has had a very nice year, um, and none of that is what matters. After last night, he made a tackle in the first quarter of a game in Cincinnati, got up, and then almost immediately fell down. Well, the information that we have for you here is that his heart stopped beating on the field. The medical personnel was able to administer CPR and get his heart beating again. He was transported via ambulance to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center where he remains in critical condition. That is the latest that we have as of right now. That, of course, is what we'll be talking about on our show today as we try. And and first and foremost, if there is any update on his medical condition, we will pass that along immediately. Dominic Foxworth, who played in the NFL for so long and was the president of the Players Association, is with me this morning. And Mike Tannenbaum, who was a GM in two different places in the NFL and has, has worked in the league basically your entire adult life. So thank you both for being willing to hang around on on what is obviously not a fun day. I mean, we do this job because it's generally fun, and nothing could be less fun than what we are talking about here today. Dominique, and it begins, I think, with this, that all of you, when you set foot on a field, maybe not from the very first time when you're little kids, but there has to be some recognition at some point in your life that, hey, I, I could get hurt doing this. But the notion that something like this might happen just isn't part of the equation even when you're little kids and that's part of the allure of it at least for me and it's weird with my of two girls and a boy and my son is so proud when he hurts himself <laughs> it's a weird thing a nine-year-old boy is like dad i got an injury is kind of like what happened to this player and it's something about um us <laughs> at that time is Part of the reason why, and it's a dumb thing to say now, but when I was a kid, I remember like I was a pretty good athlete, mm-hmm. better than most, better athlete, like better at most sports than most of the kids that were my age from mm-hmm. the time I was like five or six years old. And I wanted to play football because that's what I thought, like air quotes, the men played. Like the, the soft kids play basketball. Mm. The tough guys play football. And I wanted to be one of the tough guys. It seems so, so stupid. So even back then, I understood the risk, and it was part of what attracted me to the game. And having bumps and bruises is part of it. But at no point does anyone ever consider, even though we know 
that this game is very violent, and we've gotten more information in the past couple of decades about how dangerous this game can be to long-term health with CT and all that stuff, even though we know how dangerous the game is. And it was much more dangerous when I was, when I was growing up, and that was, again, like I wanted to be like Ronnie Lott. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just take people out across the middle because I thought that's like what the tough guys did. Mm-hmm. But at no point did I ever think that something like this could happen. And I mentioned earlier that I was involved in a lot of incidences in football that were really scary. Kevin Everett being paralyzed on a kickoff, a tight end for Buffalo, is one that comes to my mind. I was on the field during that. They were on kickoff return. I was on the kickoff team. And even after that, we took five minutes to warm back up. He gave a thumbs up as he was being taken off the field. Mm-hmm. And we continued to, to play the game. And it just, like, even that feels like it's in the realm of possibility. But performing CPR on a player whose heart has stopped, never, never something that I, could, I considered. No, we had a cardiologist, Dr. Jennifer Haith, from Columbia University on a Get Up This Morning who shared a few things with us. And, of course, she wasn't there. She didn't examine um, the, the, the DeMar Hamlin or anything like that. She, she, so she, she can, can only tell you, based upon her general expertise, that there are any number of reasons and ways this may have happened. So we will not speculate on whether it was exactly the hit that took place or whether it was a unique set of circumstances or there's the possibility of an arrhythmia. Not, no, there was no certainty to any of that. But the one thing that stuck with me from what she said, because, again, I've been conditioned, as you were just saying, Dominique, we get in here at six o'clock in the morning and we're trying to make plans for what we're going to do on the air. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, by 830, we'll know something. And then the doctor said the first few days are critical. And I thought to myself, we may not know anything for days about the severity of all of this in the long term. So we will certainly not speculate. There will come a time when we will have a conversation about whether or not this game should be played, whether it should be made up, how that should be handled. I don't know exactly when that time is. What I do know for certain is that it is not now. So that we will not have any of that conversation today either. What I did find very interesting, Mike T., and that I think you could share with our audience, is the level of preparedness for, uh, I'm going to use the word catastrophe, that's probably not the right word, for a catastrophic injury or circumstance and how well coordinated, and, and, and there may, we may very well find out that a young man's life was saved last night by this level of preparedness and by these medical professionals who were on the field instantly, it felt like. Uh, take us through just how much goes into something like that. Yeah, I agree. If there's any saving grace from last night's incredible tragedy was the medical care he got immediately, and that goes back actually to the spring, and, and the NFL, in conjunction with the NFLPA, prescribes detailed procedures for both medical staffs and what's important to note here is the responsibilities for the home team are obviously a little bit different than the away team but what's really important and the word you used is the coordination so obviously Buffalo was the visiting team but you could see right away that they work in a coordinated effort and the Bengals were able to activate you know with with whatever it may be, the, the city officials, the ambulance company, the ambulance was on the field immediately. The route to the hospital is something that's rehearsed. They know how far it is. I'm not a medical expert, obviously, but you know, understanding that's a level one trauma center is, is obviously a good sign for DeMar Hamlin's, hopefully, what, the recovery he could have will be maximized. 
Um, this is something that's practiced in the spring, Greeny. It's practiced again in training camp. Uh, Dan Graziano also mentioned they'll practice CPR on dummies. Mm-hmm. Um, you have certifications from the trainer, the doctors. Um, so there's a lot of qualified people that are immediately available. Um, and something that we learn, you know, from Dr. Haith, which is every minute that goes by, it can impact the survival rate by 10%. That, yeah. That's unbelievable. Um, how impactful you know the immediate care is yeah when your heart stops and you're not breathing and you're not getting oxygen to your brain um it looks so again we're dealing in areas here in which none of us are experts and we will acknowledge that freely and we will do our best to be as buttoned up as we possibly can in any medical conversation but this is obviously well above anything that i know well here's the one thing that struck me dominique about your reaction all of us have different reactions Mm -hmm. to this we live in a world now where Almost any time anything happens, the first reaction people have is they want to be angry about it. Like, that, I need someone to be angry at. Um, I need to be angry at Roger Goodell because they didn't announce 15 seconds after this happened that the game was was being postponed. Or I need to be angry at the sport or I need to to be angry or whatever it is. And that maybe if there is something that we can take away from this, it is that there is a greater level of appreciation on the part of the fans who watch this game and who get as much from it as we do. I, right. I guess I'm not a normal person because I make my living in this, right. but generally those of us who just love the sport, some greater appreciation of just how much sacrifice yeah. frequently goes into this and in the worst of circumstances can. Yeah, um, I appreciate that, Greeny. So it's it to me, you're right, after it's all the anger and there's anger at media members and there's anger at how the level of sensitivity of a person's tweet and everyone's mad and it just feels like they have this emotion, they don't know what to do with it. I threw my phone in the corner of my hotel room and went for a walk around the city because I started feeling myself getting angry at the people for being angry. Yeah. But what it just brought to my attention, and again, this is very much tied to my union background. I was a former president of the NFL PA, is a lot of players pay a significant price for playing this game. And I know that like the amount of money they make doesn't feel relevant <laughs> right now or how CBA negotiations doesn't feel relevant right now. But I felt that come up in me because that's my experience. That's part of my vantage point when I'm watching this is I was the president of the union. And I remember fighting with the league over the CBA. And I also remember some of these same media members who are now up in arms and want uh, thoughts and prayers for um, DeMar Hamlin. And some of these same fans were calling us greedy and, and – saying we want too much of the salary cap. And I made this point earlier that obviously my concern right now is with DeMar Hamlin, but I so rarely get an opportunity to talk about this union stuff because it's not relevant to the stuff that we do most of the time. But I do think it's extremely relevant right now because the fact that DeMar Hamlin paid is paying and the people close to him are paying this price so suddenly does not change the fact that so many other players pay a significant price and it's not a sudden play, so we don't care or think about it. <laughs> and to the degree that everyone involved in this game is taking some risk, only the players actually have limit on the reward that they can get out of this risk. Mm-hmm. And the salary cap bothers me. It always has in situations like this. I know it's not what people want to hear, but when Robert Kraft goes to the game, the worst thing that can happen to him is they're going to lose. When the players go to the game – 
this could happen or they could do something that feels much more benign that will end up hurting them in the long term. I talked about earlier on the show how a few months ago, I think it was about four months ago, I spent a night into the early morning on the phone with a former player who is my age and his wife called because he had barricaded himself in a house with a gun. And like we can't get into his brain and figure out what's happening. But the, the assumption is that it was a result of some brain damage that he had um, experienced while playing football. And so all that stuff is on my mind. Maybe it's uncomfortable for people to think of, for people to look at. But I feel an obligation when I have this opportunity to make people see what I see. And it's not that I want anything out of this or some sort of change, but just acknowledge that we don't get to it's happened around the Tua stuff too is like we don't get to be high and mighty and point at everyone else and be angry at everyone else we all like perpetuate this game and we all know the risk that these players are um exposing themselves to it's well said I don't think it's an inappropriate time to bring it up I think that on a day like this there isn't one thing you're supposed to say. We've yeah. never had a day like this. I just spent two hours on TV. I'm about to spend two hours on the radio not having any idea what I should say. So whatever thoughts that they are that come to your head seem like the right ones to share. But Mike, a final thought from you What was as yeah. we wait and see what happens. I, I think we're all preconditioned, and I've been fortunate to be around the game, obviously not good enough to play it, that they're going to be okay no matter how bad it is or head injuries. And we are all so desensitized. But at some point, you're going to get the critical but stable or the thumbs up, as we talked about on the show, Greeny. And I went to bed about midnight. You know, I set my alarm for five for, for the show. And I was up like three or four times just like looking for that you know, alert, like you know, stable condition. And, yeah. and not getting that, like, that prepositional phrase, it just, it's so stark. And like to see it in real time, like – we, it, it's and the play, like, of course, it was a, a violent hit, but it's one we see all the time, and we're so like used to this sport where like everyone's going to be okay, and mm-hmm. there's going to be injuries. And, and Dominic, obviously, you've talked about much bigger issues with CTE and the cumulative effect, but from what we're ordinarily used to, like, it it, it, it just it, it it's it's so uh, makes you so uneased to know that you know his life is in jeopardy. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen the play, we, we, we did not show it on TV this morning, and you may not have the easiest time finding it. It was uh, the same kind of play you see 20 times in any game. The receiver, T. Higgins, sort of lowers his shoulder and catches DeMar Hamlin in the chest. It hits him pretty hard, and, and Hamlin goes down and then immediately pops up, and he's standing for, I don't know what, feels like about a second and a half or two seconds, and then he collapses, and, and very differently. Like, we've seen players, yeah. with the you know, when, when you know they have some sort of concussion-like symptom, they kind of walk Wobble, he just goes straight down. And the reaction of the other players on the field is also immediate as they are calling for help. And and again, Green, we're not expert. It was clear that he was out on his feet. And then, like, you worry about, like, when he falls down, he hits the back of his head. Yeah. You're worrying, like, boy, does that exacerbate whatever else is going on? The um, thing that Damien said that got my attention is how close you feel to a teammate when you're on a team, how much time you spend together. I mentioned earlier about I had a couple teammates in in Denver die while we were there, while I was there um, for different reasons. And I have relationships with a couple of teammates now that I used to, or former teammates. But when you're on the team, you spend more time with the, the players on the team than anyone else. Like when you go out, you go out with your teammates. When you go to work, you're working with your teammates. When things go poorly for you, it go poorly for them. The emotional tie that while it's only conditional, 
at that time we say we're brothers because we feel like it. Like we feel like family because all the things that you experience with your family are the things that you are experiencing with them to a higher degree. So when you go out and win a big game and you feel it with them, like that feels like your brother. And when you lose or when somebody gets hurt, even if it's not as serious as this, if someone tears their ACL and out for the season, you're crushed because you're so close to that person because you spend so much time with them and you share like these challenges with them. So imagining how the, I don't have to imagine, honestly, like I've been in situations like this, knowing how the Bills feel right now, those players and the organization, because they feel close also like that is really heartbreaking. One, one thing that was comforting, you know, you mentioned the Bills, Nick, but, like, it was great to see the Bengals. Like, they, they, it was Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott and all the players coming together. You know, that, that, was, it, that was heartening to see in, in such a, you know, terrific tragedy. Well, it's, it's something that is bigger than even the stakes, of, infinitely bigger than the stakes of what was even a big game as we expected it to be last night. Guys, thank you for your thoughts this morning. Today was obviously a, a difficult day. Um, I, I've been doing this 30 years. I haven't had a day quite like today. With that thought in mind, I will take a short time out. We will come back with much more of this, sharing our thoughts and, and, and the rest of it as we go along. This is Greeny, and you're listening to ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. All right, I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, Progressive uh, drivers who switch and save with Progressive save nearly $700 on average. (coughs) Call or click today. Find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. This obviously is an extremely unusual day for all of us in the sports business and, and well beyond. Football fans everywhere are feeling things that were just 
not accustomed to. I'm still trying to figure out how to process it all. I, I do want to very quickly wish a happy new year to all who I've not had a chance to speak to since I came back. This is my first day back for the year and uh, apologize for missing as much time in December as I did. I've been sick and uh, I will just blanketly at the beginning of the show say I'm probably going to cough a lot as we go. I just am still having a problem with it. And so I will do the best I can. In the meantime, Hembo is here and uh, Bubba is here and Cam is here. And all of us as football fans will try and walk through what we've seen. And I sincerely hope that the outcome of this day winds up being very different from the one that I'm most reminded of, <clears throat> because the one concern I had as we did get up this morning was that I wanted to make sure that we did not talk about DeMar Hamlin in the past tense. We, we do not have any reason to believe that DeMar Hamlin um, is dead or is going to die. We do not know anything about it one way or the other, and I just did not want to, it to sound as though we were eulogizing a young man who we have every hope is going to recover. So this isn't exactly the same circumstance, but I want to say it was February of 2001. You can look it up in a second because it's a very famous day. I hosted the Sports Center special the day after the legendary race car driver Dale Earnhardt was killed on the track. It was in February. And I remember doing the show the following day. And the reason that I'm bringing that up today is because we interviewed so many. First, Mike and I did our show in the morning, and then I came back and did the Sports Center special in the evening with Kenny Maine. And what I remember about it was so many of the people that we talked to, particularly drivers and others who, who make their lives within the, the business of auto racing, you know, one of the things that makes auto racing exciting is the element of danger. Fans watching at any moment are aware that these are human beings driving cars. In the case of Earnhardt, who is a NASCAR driver, you know, driving cars at whatever they're going, 200 miles an hour on these crowded little tracks. And if you've ever actually been on one of their racetracks, I'm always struck when, and the few occasions I've been there, actually on the track. I don't mean in the stands, but I mean actually on the track, how narrow they are. It's a much smaller space than television might make it appear. These cars are driving so near one another that the possibility of of catastrophe, certainly of danger, is constant. And that there is a thrill that it, that you receive from that, from that knowledge deep buried in the back of your mind that's one of the reasons that some fans are attracted to the sport and what we discovered that day and in the immediate aftermath of you know one of the five most famous drivers in the history of the sport being killed on the track was that there is something about that element of danger that actually attracts the drivers themselves to it and but what never happens what never happens is the idea when they st- get behind the wheel of that car that the outcome of this may be that they never get back out again. That, that, that I've, I've done a very poor job of getting there, but that's ultimately what I'm trying to say is that these drivers understand sort of in their, somewhere in, 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 their, in their brains, they understand intellectually that this is a dangerous endeavor they were about to take part in, and they're excited about that. But the notion that they could actually be killed doing it never enters their minds. That's what I remember most about the interviews that we did 20 years ago, pardon me, in the wake 
of the death of Dale Earnhardt. And so the reason I find myself thinking that today is that, look, all of us as football fans, we know this is a dangerous thing we're watching. The gladiatory element of pro football has, since its inception, been one of the things that appeals to us. These incredibly brave people uh, who have the capacity to do these things that you know hurt like crazy all the time and that somewhere in the back of their minds they know they could get pretty seriously hurt doing this, that that's one of the things that attract us to it in the first place. And then all of a sudden you're watching a game and there's a guy lying on the field and he's not breathing and the emergency personnel, the other players on the field and the emergency personnel are not reacting the way we're used to. We're used to seeing, I mean, we, how many times now have we used the words precautionary measures? They bring out stretches. They're immobilizing a guy's head and his neck. Why? Because it's a precautionary measure. And he's going to put his thumb up and everyone's going to clap for him and he's going to be taken off the field. And then we're going to have third down. That's what we've become accustomed to. Because intellectually, that's, I think, as far as we're willing to go. I'm willing to accept that level of risk in this. There is even a thrill involved in the acceptance of, in seeing that risk. These huge collisions, most of which they've taken out of pro football. By the way, one of which did not precipitate this last night. There was nothing exceptional or extraordinary. If you haven't seen the hit last night, most television stations, including ours, are not showing it. But there's nothing about it that you would say, oh, that's an unusual-looking play. Literally nothing. Um, But the big hits, the huge collisions... You know, Ryan Clark hitting Wes Welker and some of the other really, the, the, those one of the, the, they were the things that attracted us, so many of us, to football in the first place. And eventually they figured out that it was too dangerous to let that keep happening. So they've taken them out of the game. Anyway, this is a very long-winded way of saying that I think one of the reasons this is so difficult for us to process, all of us who love football, not me because I work here, I am just mean all of us who live in the world of football, which is probably anyone listening to the sound of my voice right now, is that I think intellectually we are willing to go so far as accepting that this is a dangerous game. But this crossed a line that I don't think any of us ever expected to see crossed. You never, had to, you never thought to yourself, well, what will I do if a player might legitimately die on the field? And there was certainly a moment where you thought that might happen last night, and you thank God that it did not. And again, what we know is that he is in critical condition in a hospital in Cincinnati, and his family is with him. We do not know any more than that. And we will speculate about nothing until we get further information. But as I've thought it through, Hembo, and you know that I am one who I think a lot about psychology, so maybe this is why I've been thinking about it, but I think that's why I'm having such a difficult time with this, is that I think I have always been willing to accept that there's some risk these guys are taking, and... I'm good with that if they're good with it. And this went beyond anything that I ever expected to see. Yeah, you have that right. This play was fairly innocuous. Like the the tackle made that precipitated this was one that happens hundreds of times Mm -hmm. in every football game. And as far as any of us can remember, this is the only time where what happened happened. And I think that's sort of what makes this different it was a normal football play he can't he got up 
He fell back down, and we didn't get the thumbs up. We rarely don't get the thumbs up. Right. That's what made this so horrifying, so bone-chilling, so terrifying. And seeing the looks on the faces of the Bills and Bengals players really said it all because the players know. And when you saw what those players, when they you know, gathered the information, obviously, that they learned, they were all horrified. They were just like the rest of us, exposed in front of millions of people on a football field. It was unlike anything I can ever recall. Yeah, the, the, uh, that, that's right. And I have... So I'm just going to offer a stream of consciousness for you today. I'm going to apologize in advance if the thoughts that I share do not seem particularly organized because these things are just jumping into my head. This is not a show that you can prepare for, and we don't have any further information to share, and I'm most certainly not going to sit here today and talk about other things. This is not the day to talk about, you know, the the Jets coaching situation or who should get the last wild card in the NFC. Like, that's not – that's just not – nothing would feel less appropriate than doing that today. So the thoughts that jump to my head are just going to be the thoughts that jump to my head. The biggest fear I've always felt watching a football game was that someone be paralyzed. That's always seemed like the most real possibility of an instant injury like this. And I grew up with Mark Bonacani, the, the son of, of the legendary linebacker, Nick Bonacani. I don't mean that I grew up knowing him, but I grew up at a time when that first happened and became very well known and all the spinal research that they've done there because um, he was paralyzed on a hit in a football game. And I also covered sports in Chicago in the 90s. And if you were around Chicago sports in the 90s, particularly around the Bulls, at basically every Bulls game, you would see Daryl Stingley. Daryl Stingley was a very, very good wide receiver for the New England Patriots uh, back in the 70s who got hit very hard by Jack Tatum, who was a safety for the Raiders, and was paralyzed. And you would see Daryl Stingley in his wheelchair at Bulls games all the time. I mean, I, 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 my recollection of it feels like he was there all the time. I remember a player, I want to say his name was Mike Utley uh, for the Detroit Lions being taken off the field once early in the Mike and Mike days. And I remember Mike and I talking about that at length. Again, he's someone and all the former players are people who have perspective on this that is just so completely different from something that you or I can even imagine. There are no hazards to what I do for a living um, and so I can't tell you what I would be willing to risk and what I wouldn't be willing to risk in order to do this and in order to make a lot of money because that's never been something that I had to consider. So we have reporters everywhere. We have reporters in Buffalo waiting for information if there is any there. We have reporters at the hospital in Cincinnati waiting for information should any come from there. Of course, the information is going to be as it is becomes available, be provided to uh, DeMar Hamlin's family first, as, as should be, and then eventually we will find out, and whatever we find out, we will certainly let you know. Um, and again, there will come a time, and I honestly don't know when that is, and it will probably be determined in large part by what happens between now and then, there will come a time when there will be conversations about should this game be resumed, should it be played, should it be canceled in its entirety, Um I really don't know when the right time to have that conversation is. I know it isn't right now. Um, I would imagine that at some point they will take place. Um, and we hope that it is after there is some relatively good news that comes from this. And that certainly is a possibility here. Um, the fact that no further information has come from the hospital 
or from the team at least in the last let's call it nine hours now, that should not be read in one direction or another. I I don't think we should immediately assume that that is bad news. I I don't think there's any benefit to immediately assuming anything on a day like this. So let me pause briefly on that thought. I have many, many more thoughts to share. And I have a lot of sound that you will want to hear from so many different people with their reaction to it on TV both this morning and throughout last night. So we'll pause briefly on that thought and continue in just a moment. Uh, I'm Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. I'm Greeny. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. You can be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. There's only one story in sports that we're talking about today or thinking about today, and and, um, I'm sure you're feeling a lot of the same ways that we are. And all you can do on a day like this, if there's one bit of, I'm not sure wisdom is the right word, but one thing I've sort of figured out over the 30 years that I've been hosting talk shows is that I think the most important thing you can be is honest with your audience. And so I will be as honest with you as I can be. I don't know what to say. I really don't have the first idea what to say. I never expected to see what we saw last night happen. I've seen players taken off the field in any number of conditions. I've spent many hours on radio and television talking about complicated and challenging topics. I've never seen anything quite like this, and I don't know what to say. And we're in this this place where we are waiting for some information that I have no idea how quickly will be forthcoming. And I think we are all terrified of what that information might be. 
And we're all hopeful that it will not be anything nearly that terrible and that we will get some good news and we'll all be able to exhale a little bit in a way that we can't now. So I apologize if the thoughts this morning seem at times to be disorganized and a bit scattered, but these things are just jumping in and out of my head. I will tell you what just jumped into my head now. Hembo, very, very early in the days of Mike and Mike, there was a player on the Minnesota Vikings, an offensive lineman named Corey Stringer, who collapsed during training camp. This was back in the day. This actually, I think, precipitated a lot of the changes in the way training camps in the NFL are handled. They used to they used to be a sign of toughness not to give players water, and they would have two-a-days in full pads on 120-degree days. Those are the training camps I covered. I remember being in Platteville, Wisconsin, watching the Chicago Bears go through training camp, and it was just incredible to watch these huge men wearing full pads going full go twice a day when the temperature is 110 sweltering degrees in the Midwest um, in the summer. And a player named Corey Stringer, as I recall, collapsed and subsequently died. He didn't die immediately, I don't recall. Do you have in front of you there? I, I know it was, I'll pull up the details. It was you. 2001. He, 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 did not, he did not die. I, I'm just doing this from memory. You'll get the details, and so I won't get any of it wrong here. My recollection of it was that he, was, he collapsed and was taken to some medical facility. I don't believe he, as I remember this, I don't think he died right then and there, but he did subsequently die, and it changed a lot of the way training camp is held and all of that. And I'm trying to remember the way we talked about it when that happened. I'm trying to remember the conversations that we had. Frankly, I'm trying to decide what the right thing to say is when a football player seems to be fighting for his life in a hospital in Cincinnati and all the rest of us are just waiting for some news. Do do you have the Corey Stringer there? Yes, it was a practice on uh, July the 30th of 2001. He died two days later uh, from complications brought on by a heat stroke. Mm -hmm. That was during their training camp. Mm -hmm. I remember it well. I remember Randy Moss crying like a baby when they interviewed him. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And so that was our second year on on Mike and Mike. So... um, Whatever. I remember where we were sitting, what studio we were in, and all the rest of that. So I knew it was very early on. These things um, sometimes are hard to remember the, the exact order in which they take place. But one way or another, um, we have here a circumstance that, that, that people will tell you they know what to say, and they candidly, none of us do know what to say. Of all the interviews that we did this morning, and look, Dominique Foxworth was very emotional, and Booger McFarland, and Marcus Spears, and so many... But I think if there's some information I can bring you that you might not get anywhere else, let me play you some of the interview that I did with Dr. Jennifer Haith, who is a cardiologist at Columbia University. She came on, and the question, the first question I asked her was the one that I think people across America are asking, which is, how in the world did this happen? And I, I think I'm on the wrong page here, so pardon my, I'm going to find it. Here it is. Um, so this was Dr. Jennifer Haith asking the very simple question, how does something like this happen? Why this happened to this young man still is a mystery. We can speculate, which we prefer not to do, but usually uh, some kind of an arrhythmia precipitates uh, the heart stopping or not uh, providing blood flow well to the brain, uh, resulting in collapse, and CPR is crucial to restore blood flow to the brain. So then I asked her, what is... What are the greatest concerns 
moving forward at this point? I mean, really brain function. So the brain is exquisitely sensitive to uh, oxygen. And during uh, a cardiac arrest, obviously oxygen is not getting to the brain well. So urgent CPR can help provide that. Um, and then as soon as a breathing tube is put in, obviously, they're going to be able to deliver oxygen well. Uh, so, in, you know, the, the next coming days will be about his brain, his end organs. They will probably focus on trying to regulate his temperature, his electrolytes, looking at his kidney function, his liver function. Some uh, institutions will cool patients who have had a cardiac arrest in order to drop the temperature and allow for better brain recovery. But the brain recovery can be slow. And, but sometimes we can be very surprised and it can be fast. So at this point, I think he's probably receiving excellent care, following all the guidelines, and hopefully he will have a swift recovery with uh, intact neurologic function. So, I mean, that's, that's what one of the foremost cardiologists in the country can tell you. Again, not having been there, not having treated the patient and not being directly involved in it. Uh, one more from her. I asked what the next few days will look like for Hamlin and for his family. What to expect in the next few days will be uh, hard to predict and probably frustrating for fa- friends, family and uh, fans. It will take a while to determine whether or not this young man has any neurologic damage or other organ damage due to his downtime on the field. So, that's where I said, that's where this all changes completely. We are so accustomed in sports, maybe even beyond sports, like in the world in which we live, to there's a story, we're going to get information on it, and then we're going to decide what we're going to do about it. And it may very well be that we don't get any concrete information about the status, the condition, the, uh, the health of DeMar Hamlin for quite some time. And if that's the case, then I don't know exactly what everybody does. Like I said, I don't know when the right time to start talking about playing football again is. I know it isn't right now. Um, At some point, that is a conversation that will have to take place, and they'll have to figure it out. And I would imagine that the players on, well, both of these teams, but particularly the Buffalo Bills, will have strong feelings on how they want to go about it. And, And the The immediate prognosis and diagnosis will probably determine that as much as anything. All right, let me pause briefly on that thought, and we will continue with much more as we go. Again, if there's any further information, we will pass it along immediately on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.